Hello, hello, Kristen here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded before the podcast name change. If you hear any old terminology, that's why. Thank you for listening. Hello, hello, notable women. Thank you for joining me again today for this new episode. This is Kristen Downs, your host. Today I am interviewing Kelly Rainey. Now, Kelly Rainey has been on the show before. She was on episode 20, where we talked about intimate partner violence. Kelly and I went to college together. We went to Cedar Crest College in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And one of the stories that I started to hear coming out around COVID-19 was the effect of these quarantines and lockdowns on victims of domestic violence and intimate partner violence. So I wanted to talk to someone about what does this mean? What does it look like? What's happening? How can we help? What resources are available? And so Kelly very kindly agreed to come and talk to me about this today. We'll be talking about some resources that you might want to take notes for. I will also have any numbers that Kelly talked about in the show notes. So you can go to thenotablewoman.com slash 40 to get those numbers. And I'll be back at the end of the episode to fill in any gaps. I am here today talking to the ever wonderful Kelly Rainey. Is that, yes, is, is that what that is? What, that, is. No, that, that is the name. No, okay. yes. Good. I just, the ever wonderful part makes me a little anxious, but let's, let's <laughs> we'll, we'll keep going. Okay, good, good, good. You should definitely don't be anxious. So <laughs> I asked Kelly if she would talk to me today because there's been a lot in the news and you might have seen articles in many major publications about how trying COVID-19 is in a way that perhaps most people wouldn't have expected, which is in cases of domestic violence. And when I first saw my first article about it, I said, oh my God, oh my God, of course it is. But it never would have crossed my mind. I wouldn't have ever thought about it. I certainly have heard the jokes about, hey, if you don't really like your husband, there's some good divorce lawyers for after this is over. But I had not contemplated what it would be like if you were in an abusive relationship and yeah. now you're quarantined. So I asked Kelly, Kelly, I think this is an important conversation. I would love to talk to you about it. And she very, very kindly has joined me today. So Kelly, give, give us the lowdown. Well, you know, uh, you don't know. Uh, I think that often forget about the smaller things that impact domestic violence. So I'm going to back up just a minute and just talk about normal life and when we're not impacted by a pandemic and nationally, you know, domestic violence is often seen as just physical abuse and it's easy to detect, quote unquote, because, you know, you're going to see a bruised eye or you're going to see bruising around the arms or you're going to have other telling signs, um, you know, somebody who has low self-esteem or whose husband or partner, excuse me, might be showing up at different places and like asking them to like come home or come back or be forceful with them. So, you know, a lot of times when we think of domestic violence prior to having any other type of conflict or, or uh, crisis around it, we're thinking of those types of things. Not very often do we consider the isolation that happens with domestic violence, and that's even before the COVID-19. I think that that's one of the reasons why it almost feels shocking to people, because it's a, isolation is a conversation we don't have a lot when it comes to how that creates power and control dynamics within abusive relationships. So when we consider isolation, 
is more than just pre-pandemic. It's more than just you can't go out, you have to stay home. It's, you know, turning off cell phone and it's having a victim end relationships intentionally. It's um, if they're allowed to go to work, permitting them to only go to work and have to be driven or come right home or be driven to and from work. It is moving them from their family, moving them from their church. It's it's all types of smaller ways to keep a ongoing uh, task wheel, basically, of their day. As the abuser knows exactly where they are, it's a way to continue to dominate and control each and every aspect of that person's day, even if they are able to attend school, go to work, maybe go to church, things of that nature. For victims who are able to have some sanctuary outside of the home, those are safe times that they're allowed to typically exhale, maybe come up with some plans to continue safety, uh, things of that nature. It's precious time, right? So if you think about if I'm allowed to go to church uh, because there's a church event, there that's an hour of my day that I get to be around other people who, who might actually notice that something is going on and I can talk to and confide in if I feel safe. Or it's at least a break. It's a reprieve. Even if I don't feel safe sharing that with people, it's a reprieve from the abuse at my home. So that's pre-pandemic. Now that we're in the situation where many um, places throughout the United States is, are starting to shelter in place, even more and asking people, urging people to not go anywhere even more. So we have now, we have literally cut ties for those victims. There is no, there is no church meeting. There is no, um, there is no uh, library to take the books back to. There is no school event that the kids have to be at that I'm required as the victim to take them to. So that allows me some um, reprieve outside of the home or there's no work, whether it's for the victim or for the abuser to be going to. It's everyone must stay still. And there are many different ways how that how that experience can be impacted uh, for the victim as well. Well, thank you for breaking that down about pre-pandemic, what are behaviors that would be happening and then how that changes in this current world. You know, in New York City, we start official shelter in place uh, tomorrow. No, today, today, it's today. All the days are blending together. Today. Yes, right. It's hard. That's why I keep trying to differentiate with food. Sunday, we had pancakes. <laughs> Sunday morning, pancakes. <laughs> it's amazing when you think about all of those things you just laid out. So if you're not taking your kids to school, if they don't have events, if they don't have activities, if there is no church, are there no errands to run, no food shopping, no dropping off of library books, and then no work for you or your abuser, that you're all there together. And then of course, there are some folks who have homes that have backyards or front yards or things like that. And then there are others that do not, like here That's in New right. York City, we are in this tiny little apartment, which I'm very, very happy to have. But I can't imagine if I didn't love my husband and my son, how awful it would be to be stuck in here together. Yeah, absolutely. And for people who aren't, I mean, I'm very, I feel very fortunate in my life. Like I have a, I have a standalone house, no neighbors, you know, to be up against me. I have a yard, even still, and which provides some privacy, right? So if I was in an abusive situation, my partner may allow me to go outside since the neighbors can't really see, you know, but in many cases for families who don't have that luxury, you know, living in cities and things like that, their neighbors are right up against them. So it can be, you know, there's also that embarrassment of like the isolation of, I don't want my neighbors to know that this is happening for me to me. Now we're all trapped here. If something were to happen, like, will my neighbor next door 
a call for help, will that get me into more trouble? Perhaps it's something where it becomes more escalated faster for abuse, uh, and which very well could be as everyone is um, stuck together for longer periods of time and not being able to separate, not being able to go, sometimes not going to another room isn't enough to help. That could be a great timeout plan, which we can talk about towards the end in terms of safety planning. But if your abuser doesn't respect that and there's nowhere to go, you are very much so trapped. From your perspective as a person who works with folks who are experiencing this, have you seen escalation in cases? Are more people calling or are far less people calling because they have less opportunities to do so? I think right now everyone is consumed with with the real fear of this virus. And reaching out for help is always difficult for intimate partner violence and domestic violence victims because it feels like there is no one who's going to believe you and there is no help. So now let's add a layer of the fear of being home if I ask for help or I ask for support of the office, please come to my house and they tell me that somebody has to leave and my husband refuses or my partner refuses to leave. Or if I have to go to a shelter and what that might look like. Community living right now really isn't being encouraged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're asking people to stay in their homes with the assumption that people have homes, right? And so that's scary when you think about a victim taking their children to a place that they might worry is in fact going to make everyone sick. What we've experienced at my age has been a slight increase in hotline calls, but very anonymous hotline calls. No one really specifically looking to give their names, but looking for reassurance that there is something still available if they needed to, if they needed to leave. I'm very grateful in my, um, in my agency, we're still operating. Um, I've actually, I mentioned to you before when we were setting up, you know, the possibility of having to go in today, we're all taking turns, making sure that the shelter continues to operate, that it has food, that it is safe, that it is clean. We, I know, and myself, I can speak for other shelters as well that I partner with. We are all working very diligently to keep people you know, safe in their rooms, but also with the ability to utilize kitchen spaces and things like that. So they don't also feel trapped and it doesn't create panic, but, you know, reminding clients and families to wash their hands, to stay to their own, their own self in their own room, to not share drinks. Uh, You know, we've been really vigilant and our families have been too, who've been staying with us about cleaning up and making sure things stay disinfected. But it is, it's a scary time. And so I think that that really does impact the amount of people who will reach out for help and will just kind of will suffer in silence. Well, it's great to hear that your shelter is staying open and that, you know, and that you're also practicing good social distancing and staggering with your own staff which is great. And I'm glad that they, I'm glad that they have a place to be. And I'm glad that you still have those community areas because I could imagine that it would be rough to just be in a room. Shelter life is is not, I think people always imagine, I always think, I always reference the movie um, Pursuit of Happiness where he, it's the, all the cots lined up in a large like gymnasium style. Um, and we're lucky our shelter is, is nice. It's very lovely, but the rooms are are not huge bedroom-wise. So trying to make sure that people have an opportunity to stretch their legs a little bit um, because, you know, that can also cause anxiety and, and fear as well. And, you know, our goal is to really maintain safety for everyone while they're there. Now, another question, something that someone suggested to me was that with abusers feeling so much fear themselves around the virus, that it would be a time for them to be even more violent and acting out even more frequently. Yeah, I think that that's a very real fear. So we think about abusers in general, you know, and again, that they could be male or female. So there is no specific gender that is considered more abusive than the other. These are partners that have, uh, that are experiencing a need to gain power and control, usually because they have their own history of violence. 
um, usually because they have um, insecurities and fears that have not been regulated well. And so when you start adding more of those types of things to it, so it's, you know, there's this, there's also fears now and not just getting sick, but people losing their jobs, losing their homes, you know, not being able to feed their children, pay for their cars or their homes you know, having to sort out where they're going to find that next job, particularly a lot of my younger clients are wait tables. And that's something that's part-time money, but still it's money they rely on. Um, or if it is their full-time job, there is no gig, there is no gig right now. There is nothing to do. And so the, all these fears outside of just being sick um, are really building up for people in general. It does become like a pressure cooker mm. of, um, of fears and anxieties. And when an abusive partner is trying to gain control, they're not just trying to gain control of that one person. They're trying to gain control of their entire environment. And so absolutely, this could definitely lead to longer explosive periods for folks in terms of violence. It could lead to an increase in the type of violence really going to create more toxic situations and possibly increase lethality for these families, um, which is a really scary thought. That's absolutely terrifying. For folks who might be listening, who might be experiencing this types of things we're talking about, and they might be unsure of what is happening in the, the current environment, what, what can they do? Who can they call? Are there places for them to go? So what advice do you have for them? Yeah, that's a great question. So I have a couple numbers and I'm horrible at memorizing. So give me a second so I can read over them clearly for people. So I wanted to make sure that people first had the National Domestic Violence Hotline number so that no matter where you are listening to this, that's a place that you can call. They will give you general advice. They can also link you up to the um, program near you if you're willing to give the area that you live. You don't have to give your name. You really don't have to give any information. Um, this number is incredibly helpful for folks just to talk about some safety planning. Safety planning typically means like how, you know, doesn't have to mean leaving. It just can mean, how do I keep you safe when you realize that there's about to be a, a moment of violence in your home? Victims know their abusers the best. And so we always have to ask them, how do you know it's about to start? How do you know? And that from there, we think of things that the victim can do. Not what Kelly or the other advocates believe the victim should do, but what makes sense for the victim. So the National Hotline can help with that as well. Their number is one 800 799-7233. And so that's a, like I said, national number. I also wanted to make sure to give RAIN because that's a, a, a great number for those who are impacted by sexual violence. We do know that domestic violence is not separate from that. Um, sexual violence is another way to dominate and control your victim. And folks who want to talk directly with somebody who's specialized in that can call RAIN. That is 800-656- Four six seven three, And I also wanted to give, um, I work for Family and Children's Services. We serve Baltimore City and the five surrounding counties. Our comprehensive domestic violence program is located in Carroll County. However, our 24-hour hotline, my staff are trained uh, to talk about COVID-19, to talk about safety planning around that talk about safety planning to stay in your home with your abusive partner, to talk about what currently is available in Carroll County ourselves. For example, we're, our, our courts are still hearing protective orders because they're considered emergency petitions. So that's something that victims may not be aware since courts are technically closed. But that's the type of information that we can give out. And if somebody from another county or another state calls our hotline, we should be able to help them at least connect to the place that they need to get their information from, or we can help them by looking it up. 
So our 24-hour hotline number is 443-865-8031, and that's actually a text or call number. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Now, my last question, I always say last, like, is it the last? We're never sure. <laughs> that's all right. So I wanted to know if if someone listening felt like there was someone in their life that they were worried about because now they are in isolation, social distancing, quarantine, shelter in place, whatever part of the country they're in, it would yeah. be different, but they're worried about someone in their life and they're not sure what to do and uh, what recommendations would you have for them? That's, that's hard, right? Because we want to make sure that we don't create more danger for people. I think that a lot of times people think that they should you know, immediately. And, you know, if, you, if you're on a call with someone that you love and it sounds scary in the background, please call 911. Please, please call 911. You know where they live. You can get them there. And I know that that's risky and it feels dangerous, but if you hear the violence happening, we want to make sure that we're keeping people safe and alive, right? But if you're having a conversation with a friend and your friend shares some things that make your stomach say, oh, oh, okay, that's weird, you know, or, oh, that doesn't feel good to me. I think verbalizing that first with your friends. I will, I spend a lot of my time asking people or saying to people, wow, that, that doesn't feel good to me. Is, how does that work for you? Do you feel okay when that happens? Like, or is that something that just, you know, you just deal with? What would happen if you didn't deal with that? And, you know, a lot of times people just like feeling heard. It's empowering for a victim to feel heard because they're told that nobody cares and that, that they're dumb and that nothing that they actually think is happening is in fact happening and that they deserve what's happening. So, you know, being able to hear them, I think also too, if you would like feedback or you would like ideas, you can also call a 24 hour hotline. Now hotlines can't reach out to your friend for you. That's not something that, cause it's not a safe thing to do, right? If I call as a advocate to somebody who doesn't know I'm calling and their partner picks up, that could put them in danger. But you could call and get some ideas on how to support your friend as well. And that could be enough to be like, hey, look, I found out that there's still a shelter open in our town that's able to help you and the kids if you want to go. Or hey, here are some tips, you know, about, you know, you said something about being afraid and, and being trapped in the bathroom sometimes. Here are some tips about, like, if you feel like he or she's about to be upset, where you could go in the house. And right now, yes, we're not supposed to be outside and we're supposed to be staying indoors. But if you need to get out, you know, I would say tell your friend to get out. We all have to do things to make sure that we're staying safe. Law enforcement in your area should be aware of the shelters that are open. But if not, again, please take down the hotline numbers. Please call. Please give them to your friends. They can easily put a hotline number in their phone and put it down as, they can put it as Kelly if they're allowed to have female friends. They can put it as, you know, doctor's appointment, doctor's office, whatever they need to do. They don't have to put it in their phone as a 24-hour hotline. Excellent tips. Thank you so much, Kelly. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? I think it's just about being compassionate. I think, you know, we're all very stressed right now to a level of of, uh, of really exhaustion. I mean, I know that I feel like I'm a moderately calm person and I snapped at my husband the other night for no reason. Um, and I, you know, I apologize and I met my apology. Um, I think that people are going to feel stressed. What I'm encouraging are for those families that are experiencing a level of stress normally and now it feels even more intensified. They're feeling afraid. They're feeling like any minute it's not necessarily the virus that might hurt them but something in the house or someone in the house that will you know being mindful that there is still help out there again i know that we're talking a lot about people staying in place and being safe and yes please do that but if you are in danger and it feels like there's 
a, a point where you are not going to be able to maintain your safety, please reach out to one of these hotlines so that we can continue to get you help. What I would hate to learn is that someone felt that they could never reach out to help because they would be, you know, taking away from people who truly needed help in the situation and, and victims always truly need help. So we're here to support them. Thank you. Amazing as always. See, you are the ever amazing Kelly Rainey. I don't, I don't know, but I appreciate your time. I really do appreciate Kristen. You come taking the opportunity and the platform you have to bring this information to light. I am happy. Um, I know that you have my, my email and stuff. If people have any direct questions, they can shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer those questions if you give some feedback, you know, in terms of having victims, like I would encourage the hotline as well. But if people are nervous or afraid, they can use the local hotline at my agency. Like I said, like we can still safety plan, even if we don't quite know where you are, if it feels too scary to call the national, I just want people to get help. Thank you, my friend. The work you do is fabulous and we appreciate um, you. Thank you. Thanks so much. And there you have it. What wonderful advice we got from Kelly there. I'm so appreciative of her always, especially the work that she does in the world, and especially right now. It's so desperately needed. So if you want to see those numbers, if you were listening and couldn't jot them down, head on over to the notablewoman.com slash 40, and you will be able to see everything that she recommended. I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much. I'm thinking about you. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And if you need a community of women who could be there, who can talk to you, resources, come on over to the societyofnotablewomen.com. Take care and be well.